0: From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. We've been on hiatus for a few weeks, but we're glad to be back. And joining me this week is Peter Cohn, the budget and tax policy editor at CQ Roll Call. Thanks again for being here, Pete.
1: Great to be here, David. I'm glad we are uh, reviving the the budget podcast after a little hiatus.
0: And it's it's a good week to be back. We got a lot to chew on, Pete, because we are now one week away from the deadline for getting this omnibus spending package done. That's a half a year late before funding runs out next Friday, March 11. What's the latest betting? Do you think this is going to happen in time?
1: It doesn't. Look that way, but stranger things have happened. As of yesterday, they seem like they were clearing out the underbrush of a lot of the the kind of perennial issues that they face on the Homeland Security bill uh, and, and other and you know Labor, HHS, Education, the two of the biggest domestic spending bills they have to deal with every year out of the dozen. So uh, transportation, HUD, another very large bill that seemed to be coming together. But there's always little little issues that get kicked upstairs to the leadership level. And um, that's where you know, they always say that if the appropriators could just, you know, have their druthers, they could just sit in a room and hammer it all out and they'd be done. But the problem is they often can't do that because of pressure from the rank and file on this, that, or the other issue. So that has to get handled at a higher pay grade. <laughs> and that's kind of where they're gonna where the rubber's gonna meet the road. And then, of course, They've got to deal with all of the issues that the White House put in, on Congress's plate. Uh, well, really, external factors have put them in front of everybody, namely the Ukraine situation and this ongoing COVID, COVID-19 response effort. So I'd say it's probably a little better than 50-50 that they can get it done. The question is, are they going to need maybe another week? You know, Are they going to need another short, very short-term stop cap bill? to get it done? And do they have to maybe punt on a couple of things and just do as much as they can in this in this first tranche and then maybe save something for later? So that's kind of the questions they're going to be wrestling with today and over the weekend and early Monday. But the, you know, the House has got to take this up early in the week because they have a retreat scheduled at the end of the week.
0: Yeah. They're hardly in session, it seems like. Right. Too, so.
1: And the Senate, and there's always traps, procedural traps in the Senate, hurdles they have to jump through. They might have to deal with, you know, one or two cloture votes potentially in the Senate, which can burn up. Then there's 30 hours of debate potentially after the cloture vote. So, you know, they've really got to get this done. And Senator Shelby, the ranking member on uh, Senate Appropriations yesterday, told people, you know, if they don't really have the major decisions locked down by the end of this weekend, then they probably are looking at another continuing resolution or CR. So, you know, (laughs) we'll, we'll see. Stranger things have happened.
0: Very little time to get it done, and it's worth stepping back a second just to point out how late they already are. This they we're already almost half of the fiscal year already over, and they're finally trying to wrap this up. It's been it's been on in a partisan standoff for months over this big fight over defense versus non-defense spending, whether they should have equal increases or not. Republicans have been pushing for equal increases, Democrats have resisted that. They finally, just a couple of weeks ago, announced the framework, they called it, for a deal, but they weren't even willing to really explain what the framework is or what they actually agreed to. It seemed really fragile. We still don't really know what's entailed there. We don't know the levels of increases we're talking about yet. And yet they think they're going to write this bill in the next few days. And as Shelby said, if it's not done by this weekend, they're really in a bind. It would seem like they need at least a few extra days. I mean, some kind of short-term stopgap. Then,
1: yeah, it wouldn't be in the end of the world, or it wouldn't be the first time that's happened. You know, and also the fact that we're, we're six months into the fiscal year before this is getting done—that's not entirely unusual either. I mean, we've been here before, just a few years ago. You know, we we were there, and then you know, the year after that we went into a shutdown for 35 days. At oh yeah. These of things
0: often run late and, and bogged down. Yeah. There's no question yeah. about that. I mean,
1: so, so this is, you know, this is par for the course in, in a lot of yeah. ways. And, and keep in mind, we have the narrowest, you know, slimmest, most evenly divided Congress probably, you know, in, in at least 20 years and maybe longer.
0: Which has made it all the tougher. That's right.
1: Yeah. I mean, even though Democrats control everything, I mean, the Democrats have have major. You brought up the de- defense non defense split. The Democrats have a ma- have major issues in their own caucus with how to allocate that split between defense and non defense. Right. Because you've got defense hawks, like you know, for example, Elaine Luria, who's a, a you know a Navy veteran who has got a really tough race in November, who's a member of the Armed Services Committee, you know, and, and other members of the Armed Services Committee who really want that def- that higher defense number, but then you've got the progressives who. Actually want to cut defense. So, and then, you know, they're going to have to come way down from their non-defense numbers, which the Democrats were putting out, you know, proposed increases of fourteen to sixteen percent earlier this year over the previous year, just you know, mega increases that we've really never seen before in the appropriations process, especially after all the stimulus we've had and all the supplemental bills we've had over the last couple of years. So you know, they've come a long way. and I think, you know, you brought up they've got so little time to write these bills, but a lot of the groundwork has been laid already. I mean, a lot of the the actual drafting of the bills, all of the kind of low hanging fruit that can be done, that's probably already been done. But it's these last little pieces that are going to have to be kind of closely watched and, and drafted over the next couple of days. That you know, again, do we end up in a in a week long CR or something like that? It, it wouldn't be outside of the bounds of possibility.
0: And then the White House managed to throw a new wrinkle into these talks just yesterday by finally submitting this long-awaited supplemental funding request that came with a lot of, after a lot of pressure, uh, more money for Ukraine and more money for COVID relief, and Republicans are not eager to pass more COVID relief, Pete.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's known this is coming. They, uh, HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, had previously submitted this wish wish list to to the Hill. Uh, I think you know, in response to that informal request, the uh, Office of Management and Budget kind of nibbled nibbled at a little bit, right? Just slimmed it down in the request that came up came up yesterday. They took out some some a few pieces of that, but even at at the level it is now, twenty two and a half billion for for COVID nineteen relief. There are questions lingering among the Republicans about unspent funds that are already in the pipeline that have not been uh, obligated yet by HHS and other agencies. So, you know, there's been talk that they may have to split that out. I think even top Democrats initially were saying, like, like Senator Leahy, Chairman of Senate Appropriations, was saying, "Let's not bog down the omnibus with that." Now we're having disputes about that. Let's save that for a little later. And but they've the Democrats kind of all fell in line over the last twenty four or forty-eight hours in terms of putting that all into the omnibus. So um, you know, we gotta see. If if it's all packaged together with aid to Ukraine and the base budget for the Department of Defense and all of the other agencies, it then becomes exceedingly difficult for Republicans to find the votes to block that. Uh, in the Senate. Uh, So, you know, we'll see. Or maybe, you know, Lindsey Graham, the top Republican on the budget committee yesterday said, we we can talk about the COVID relief. Maybe we need to find some offsets. Maybe we need to claim that kind of the unspent money that's already in the pipeline and repurpose that. So somewhere in there, some amount of COVID-19 relief, you could easily see getting through here, but it may not be in the current shape and you know format that the White House submitted it yesterday.
0: Yeah. I'm not, Republicans don't seem to be opposed to the idea of more money for COVID vaccines and that type of thing, but they, they are looking for ways to have it offset, to have it paid for. Uh, and they would like to see some of the unspent relief from past COVID laws be repurposed to, to use this instead of borrowing more money to do it. That's where the major tension point has been. And so we don't know whether whether they would go for more appropriations on, on COVID right now and just dump it into the omnibus if they're willing to do that or not. It, but they are resisting that. There does seem to be a little more bipartisan support for the Ukraine aid. I'm not sure either. It seems like both parties are in line to to to, to back that. That's about $10 billion of new money for Ukraine, uh, which sounds like will be part of the omnibus,
1: yeah, there there's very little question at this point that that ten billion dollars, you know, maybe the mix of of how the ten billion is allocated is is going to be in the package. I mean, that that seems to be kind of baked into the pie at this point. They just they can't go home with this you know thousand two thousand page bill or whatever it's going to end up being and have nothing to support the Ukrainian people in there. That would just be a, a terrible look. And nobody wants to, to have that outcome. Even the farthest of the far left or the farthest of the far right, they are going to, you know, the votes are going to be there to do, to do something for Ukraine. I mean, that request has, it's not just the department of defense and uh, the department of state and, 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 you know, there's money in there to go after the, you know, the Russian oligarchs assets, for instance. I mean, you know, there's, if one thing that, Pretty much everybody can get behind, no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, is that these super yachts, <laughs> you know, anchored off the coast and in, in some of these very sunny locations right. um, owned by these Russian billionaires that are you know closely linked to Vladimir Putin, you know <laughs> it's a pretty bipartisan uh, feeling that you can go after those, for instance. So you know DOJ needs resources to do that. Department of Justice. So, right. you know, this is going to be, there's going to be broad bipartisan support here. Is there a little heartburn about, um, you know, giving more money to, to the Department of Defense maybe on the left? I think so. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, there, there's going to be pretty broad bipartisan support for that piece.
0: And then we had a fight on something that wasn't in the White House request, which is which is money for disaster relief. You've got people from Louisiana in particular who are suffering hurricane damage that, Are looking for something like two billion dollars of more aid, uh, and that's not in there. And we got we heard some pushback this week that they may have second thoughts about this package if if they can't get more disaster relief.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, right now the, the these are some these are disasters in some cases that were two years ago. So there is a natural reluctance on the part of the Appropriations Committee leadership to kind of reopen that uh, that whole process. I mean, in Louisiana, you got, you know, hurricanes, Laura and Delta and were, I think in fall of 2020. Um, but you know, they did a big aid package for hurricane Ida last fall. And, uh, there are, you know, inevitably there are things that fall through the cracks. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you can certainly see an instance where the Democrats who may not represent those parts of the country will say to those Republicans who do that, okay, we're willing to play ball with you if you will drop your objections to some of the things we want to do in other parts of this massive spending bill. So there's room for negotiation there. There's room for a deal. You might see something get done there, uh, you know, to to make the Louisianans and others happy uh, on this final bill. But, you know, there's a lot of room for horse trading when you've got a bill that touches every single federal agency and and department uh, that they're putting together over the next, you know, 72 hours. <laughs> right. And, right. So, yeah.
0: and we should note that there's still a push ongoing to get some more money for restaurants that were battered by the pandemic. There's a bipartisan group still pushing for as much as $40 billion or more in new relief for restaurants, but we don't know yet whether that would be part of this package or whether that just complicates things too much. That's another thing to look at. Um, so there's a lot to wrap up in the next, in the next week uh, before funding runs out, or else we're looking at another stopgap. Before we go, Pete, I did want to ask you, though, also a, about another major piece of legislation that we saw the House pass this week that's worth noting here, which is a huge expansion of veterans' benefits. And with everything else going on, uh, it's been hard to focus on that. But this would be a major expansion of, of health benefits for veterans, uh, that comes at a huge cost, too.
1: Yeah, it, th- this is this is really, in you know, an issue that um, has kind of. You're right; it's kind of fallen under the radar with Ukraine and everything else going on in the world. Even when people like John Stewart get involved, you know, usually John, he's a pretty high profile guy, so usually yeah. when he's when he's on the hill, it gets a lot of attention. But even even with John Stewart um, weighing in, this this is not gotten the attention that it probably deserves. And you're right. I mean, this this is a, a huge expansion of what the VA has has traditionally done. I mean, this would basically take care of uh, all of the instances of veterans who, going back to Vietnam, uh, may have been exposed to toxic substances and, and contracted illnesses as a result. And usually it's this really cumbersome process of trying to basically establish a scientific link between veterans who come home and come down with, with an illness that it was in fact directly related to their, their, uh, military service, uh, and, and, you know, exposure during those, those, uh, uh, times of their lives. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge expense. It's, uh, over $300 billion over the next decade. It's, um, you know, this is, you, you may have to go back to the GI bill to, to, you know, look at, um, previous, uh, you know, major new benefit expansions for veterans. And, um, you know there's no question there is a lot of bipartisan support and sympathy uh on the on on the republican side as well as as a democratic side i mean yet actually 34 republicans ended up voting for this bill i think that was a bit of a surprise uh in the house yesterday uh given the the position that it was really just too expensive and um there's another bipartisan bill that cleared the Senate or passed the senate by voice vote so no objections which was a much 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 smaller bill it would, you know, incrementally help those veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan who were exposed to, to burn pits, you know, these big open air pits where the military would just kind of burn all their garbage and emit all these, uh, all these odors that that's made people very sick. Um, and so the Republicans were saying, let's just do that. Uh, you know, we can do that today and it can be on president Biden's desk tomorrow. Uh, it only costs a billion dollars versus 320 billion dollars. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, they, they pushed back and they pushed this massive expansion of the VA, uh, through. And, um, you know, there's questions about what can get done in the Senate, obviously. Um, but 34 Republicans was, that gave a lot of political cover to the Democrats to, uh, to really go to the Senate, their Senate counterparts and say, you know, come on guys, let's, let's make a deal here. Um, and you know, the other thing we should note, given this is the budget podcast is the way the VA, Budget works is healthcare is entirely on the ber- on the backs of the appropriations committees to fund uh, the disability benefits. That this would lead to uh, are those are automatic benefits that will flow uh, as soon as somebody's claim is uh, is accepted, uh, and this would streamline that process for accepting those claims. But the appropriations committee would have a huge huge new responsibility uh, to fund VA healthcare and give the VA the resources it needs to, to process these claims, which is also an, a, uh, a function of the appropriations committees. That's not an automatic funding source either. So um, <laughs> the appropriators just got a massive new responsibility a few years ago when they put this so-called the former VA choice program, which was which allows veterans to seek private health care to avoid the long wait times that, that got a lot of publicity a few years ago. That's a big expense that appropriators, you know, were not really banking on, and so that those dollars have to compete with all the other non-defense dollars in the federal discretionary budget. So, if this becomes law, this new, this latest bill on toxic exposure, that is another huge expense that will that the appropriators will have to find room for, competing against environmental programs, low-income housing, foreign aid. I mean, you know, you name it. So I think there's a little trepidation also about uh, doing this on on the part of the appropriations committees. But again, nobody's going to get in front of something that is supported by every major veterans group, and not to mention John Stewart.
0: But most Republicans are uncomfortable with this, and, and most they Republicans are. did oppose it in the House.
1: They are, yeah. And in, in the Senate, they clearly, there was an understanding that this could not get through. There was a very comparable bill in the Senate from Senator John Tester and Jerry Moran, the ranking Republican on that committee. It, but, you know, it was clear that the votes were not there to move that quickly through the Senate, and they had to go to this dramatically scaled-back version over there. But they want to get something done in time for those Memorial Day, you know, flag-waving ceremonies and barbecues. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's possible something squeezes through there. But that is a, a – you're right. That is a huge under-the-radar piece of legislation that got, kind of got lost in the shuffle this week but is definitely – uh, very important one to watch.
0: So we'll see if they can work out a compromise on that. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back next week.